What's up, everyone? Welcome to Destination Radio. It's me, your boy, Dan Evans. I'm delighted to be joined today by Berlinog's finest, Catherine Ashton. Catherine is an activist, writer and communist. How are you doing, Catherine? Yeah, fine, thank you. So we're here today to talk about Catherine's incredible article that she wrote in Planet uh, 231, All Mothers Are Working Mothers. So I read that article, and I think it was a couple of years ago now, and it was kind of like a brain exploding moment not just because of that how good the article was but because it in reading about some of the you know know, the stuff in it led me down a rabbit hole into a whole new world of theory and uh, introduced me to the work of Italian Marxist Silvia Federici and as me and Catherine were just talking about off, off air there are a few books and things that you know sometimes in your life when you read like so for me it's probably the communist manifesto state and capitalist society and then i have to say the work of Silvio federici is one of those things that once you read it it's like okay once you read it there's no going back i think to to the old world you will see the world in fundamentally a new and i would say better way i think it's important we talk about this because we've we've, we've just done our our introduction to Marxism and I actually think that Federici and the wages of housework and, and, and some of her work really complements and completes really traditional sort of Marxist thought. So anyway, Catherine, let's talk about the wages of housework article. So why did why did you write the article first and foremost? Yeah, well I hadn't long had a baby. Actually I think by the time I'd written it I'd had two babies. But when I had Nella, my, my little girl, I had all these presents, but one one of them was from um, a friend of mine who is an activist in Australia, Rachel, and she sent me, yeah, she basically sent me a copy of The Power of Women and the Subversion of the Community as my, you know, happy new baby present. <laughs> and, and yeah, I read it and I felt exactly the same as you, you know, exactly what you've been describing now. I was totally blown away run away by the ideas in it I grew up in the valleys and I still live in and it was a you know an upbringing that was quite uh yeah like it was a political upbringing in a way you know politics was discussed and um you know my granddad was in my name he was still working when I was little my my neighbors you know everybody around most of the men were minors and all this was going on and then as an adult I joined the communist party but I had never ever come across this this analysis of you know the work that women do basically in the house and and how integral that is to all the other work that goes on and yeah I was just so excited by it and also really really angry (laughs) and um, yeah and I I wrote this piece I think I was supposed to write something about being a mother about being a new mother but but this is what came out <laughs> the fact that we should all be paid <laughs> for being mothers and also I didn't articulate it very well in the um, in the essay but later I actually you know preparing for this podcast I read I read a book about it was a history book about that particular period and the woman who wrote it she said that from a personal level the thing about the whole campaign and the whole perspective that was important to her was just the, the dignity that it gave her as a mother who wasn't earning any wages and, and that it was in a way a way of avenging you know the work that, that her mother and her grandmother had done and I I realized yeah that that's what I, that's exactly how I felt I suppose I know you you shouldn't feel the same but I suppose I did feel that I'd lost a bit of dignity really you know I, I wasn't earning anything I was yeah we, we were on benefits we actually you know we still are but I had this feeling that um yeah that I'd lost a bit of dignity somehow you know but that this this analysis this way of showing that there was a kind of a structural problem in the way we organize ourselves as a society and also that these women had come together to argue the case for this and you know they'd done really amazing work it it did give me a sense of dignity back, you know, and I... I think it's fundamental that it's your own personal experiences, you know, as a new mum, which is like catalyzed right in the article and, you know, sent you on the journey. And I think sort of grateful for it because it's not a perspective that I would have naturally come across. One of the things I loved about the piece is that, you know, it was it was how you wrote about the experience of motherhood has just given you an entirely new perspective on, on life. And as we'll discuss, you know, capitalism and sort of 
society and how it's organized so he said for example the period of having children has felt like one long pause of sorts a moment of stepping out of life as i knew it and seeing the world from a completely different angle uh, i watch it with whereby with all its drama as i slow down um allow my pockets to be filled with twigs and feathers and turning over rocks watching spiders and wood mice going about their day as we slowly go about ours i mean it's a, it's a it's a really beautiful beautiful article i think but i mean i the idea of having a new perspective i think is seems to be fundamental the, the experience of having children you know we always i think we see it as a as a beautiful important thing but until this article i hadn't really thought about it as a, a moment of of catalyzing you know a revolutionary new perspective on the world one of the central bits in the articles as you say is one of, with the birth of my children came many beautiful present one gift stood out from all the others it arrived a few minutes later and it made me stand up a little straight and not feel so vulnerable it was sent by a friend from australia and it was a well-read slightly battered copy of the out of print book of 1972 by mario della costa from italy and selma james from the usa called the power of women and the subversion of the community he uses a feminist reader and marks around the situation of mothers staying home to care for their children this pamphlet that I read and got totally excited about and blown away by. The the exciting thing about it as well was later I found out that this was basically the catalyst for the wages for housework movement because the, the same effect that you describe about finding out about these ideas and exactly the same thing had happened to me. These things had happened to to these other women and men actually during the 70s. So they organised a meeting around it in, in Italy. I think it was about 1972. And Federici, uh, she, she went to that meeting. And that's when they decided to form the International Feminist Collective. And this then, the Wages for Housework perspective was, was the main campaigning position. And so all these groups were formed. I think they were about maybe five groups in different towns and cities in Italy. And they were called different names. So there was Lata Feminista, I think, in Padua. And then there were different names. And then there was the Power of Women Collective in London. There were groups in France and Germany and the Netherlands, I think, in Switzerland. There was the Wages for Housework in Brooklyn. And then there were groups in Toronto and LA. There were groups in Mexico and Argentina. So it really did become this movement and yeah the, and it was also controversial at the time you know the the demand they were making to get paid for housework was was controversial and so all these there was a you know all these essays were getting written in in letters and they would they would write essays to each other or not to each other but you know they'd write these essays and then they translate them and then so the ideas developed and They'd be arguing, you know, they'd be arguing in journals and things where people would say, you know, really disagree with them about the perspective. One of the arguments against it was that if you if you paid women for their housework and, you know, for looking after children, that you you would just chain them to to the home, basically, and you would stop them from being free. But the counter argument was that work doesn't free you. If you, if you get a job outside the home, you, you're still basically doing all the work inside the home. You've just got two jobs, and and the way to freedom isn't through getting another job. But yeah, I think and the other exciting thing about it was that these autonomous groups also uh, came about within the campaign. So, so Black Women for Wages for Housework. There was Wages Do Lesbians in London and Toronto. There was the English Collective of Prostitutes. The Lesbian Mothers National Defence Fund, Win Visible, Women with Visible and Invisible Disabilities. And there were lots of other prostitute collectives and and they fought from a wages for housework perspective, but from, but from their own particular struggles as black women or as lesbian women or as prostitutes. And and the thing was that I was also really excited by was they weren't just writing these essays and pamphlets. They were they were taking direct action so and they would all support each other so there's one example of the English collective of prostitutes they were they were fighting for their work not to be for the work to be legalized but for pimps to be prosecuted and for the end of police harassment because they were you know they knew it was it wasn't I think it was illegal to be a pimp but the police never did anything about it. But they would har- harass the prostitutes and they were really fed up. And they set up this this campaign 
and they had legal advice and then they, they would fight 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 court battles for the prostitutes and things got quite bad so they decided to take over to occupy a church in King's Cross and it was meant to be for one for one day but they ended up being there for 12 days they had press conferences every day and then in you know, different countries and different continents the other groups so the you know wages for housework and black women for wages for housework they all went to the British consulate or you know British Airways and campaigned outside in solidarity with this occupation of the church in King's Cross. So I suppose that thing that all kinds of women saw the link between them. And yeah, and for the black women's group, they the point was that most of the, I think it was about 50% of the prostitutes were black women. So these things that were affecting, affected you even more if you were, if you were a black woman. It seems to be like an incredibly vibrant and like revolutionary moment and also one which was like truly, truly internationalist. You know, this like women coming together. It's like it's 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 shocking that it's not a more widely publicized phenomena. You know, the wages for housework campaign. Again, I'm coming at this from a perspective of complete ignorance. Personally, obviously, like the to to read all this feminist writing, you know, and make the the case for wages for housework, and to center this idea of domesticity and housework as like a site of struggle was interesting for me because I, you know, I guess I'd sort of associated feminism with the rejection of housework and entering the like labor market as a way of like freeing women and and Federici does provide this like potted history of the feminist movement and it, it made a lot of sense to me because she basically said that you know the after world the experience of world war ii you know particularly in italy where she was which had like this very fascist patriarchal culture during the war and obviously world war ii you know women had entered the factories out of necessity for the war effort and you know she said that a lot of women scarred by this like patriarchal culture just completely rejected the idea of housework or they didn't want to like have children or raise and you know that was almost like the paradigm and she said there was this period where in Europe certainly it seemed as if feminism was about rejecting you know housework and domesticity and all that sort of stuff but then she's very specific and, and she says that like one of the catalysts for the campaign as you said was the experience of black women in America have I got that? Have I got that right in terms of changing the terms of the debate? Um, yeah, from the things I've read, because one interesting thing, I think there, there'd been an article in the seventies that was saying that the black movement could learn a lot from the Wages for Housework campaign, and this caused, you know, outrage within the Wages for Housework groups because. The point was, and they, they 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 wrote a letter back in response, but this letter turned into into a long article. Yeah, they they were saying these black women, for example, that were part of the black wages, black women for wages for housework. This was a continuation of of their work in the civil rights movement in the 60s. So these women and their mothers had been part of that movement, and one of the demands that they'd made was um, welfare for mothers. So the wages for housing campaign, it didn't come out of like all, you know, like all of these things. It didn't come out of nowhere, you know. It didn't just pop up. There, there was a, there was a precedent to ask for these kinds of things, and these, these black women had really fought for years. And this, yeah. So this work through wages for housing was, was a continuation of that campaigning and that activism. And yeah, the Italian feminists and and everybody who eventually became a part of it it was really I suppose you could say it was the legacy of the civil rights movement really it's a quote it's a really long one but it's about like the, it says the demand for a wage in return for housework had a symbolic resonance with their history as slaves the role black mammy embodied both housework and all other reproductive work including sexual services the black women were compelled to f- perform for masters during slavery times and afterwards as the work that black women performed in the black community had a subversive value and a political dimension the home was a safe haven when you read this sort of stuff this feminist work i mean one of the pillars of it as we'll discuss later is you know is is about realizing the centrality of colonialism and like racism to like capitalist accumulation so it's a really like i would say like a holistic form of marxism which like it is 
you know, intersectionality is a buzzword, but this is like the definition of intersectional sort of Marxism because it necessarily has to discuss the fact that, you know, not only are women oppressed, you know, more, you know, men are oppressed as workers, women are oppressed, you know, more as un, unpaid, unwaged laborers. And then within that global sort of system, it's women of color across the world who are basically at the very bottom of the of the food chain, basically. So it necessitates this way of understanding the world in a way which is focuses not just on uh, patriarchy, but also racism and imperialism. I think it's just a it's just an indispensable way of understanding the world. So the Wages for Housework campaign is what inspired this article, you know, your article. And the Wages for Housework campaign, as we've seen, is this huge international campaign amongst women basically to be paid for housework ostensibly. You know, that's the, what I guess what it says on the tin. But as you said, there's loads of different facets to that and local groups had their own spin on it. It's probably worth now explaining, I guess, like the logic behind the Wages for Housework campaign. But you can't understand the concept of the wages for housework without understanding, I guess, the theoretical or new perspective behind it. And, and at the core of Federici and the wages of housework is the question of reproductive work, isn't it? What is reproductive work, Catherine? So, yeah, so for Marx, production happened in factories and the home was the place of consumption. But what they, what these feminists did using his, you know, analysis, was show that reproduction, was that was that production happened in the home through reproduction. So first, maybe the reproduction of the worker himself, because also this is written in the 70s when, when actually most women were at home and it was the men that went out to work, went out to work. But for the man to go out to work, you know, he had to have his clothes washed and sorted and he had to be fed and the food had to be kept going. So the work of making sure that the worker can actually get to work, that, that the worker is well fed and, you know, has rested and doesn't have to do anything else around the house so that he can re- recharge and regenerate in order to work the next day. Actually, Engels does talk about this, the, re- yeah. the reproduction of people, doesn't he? Like the reproduction of I've got the quote here, isn't it? So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Engel says, the determining force in history is the production and reproduction of immediate life. So essentially then, reproductive labour is the that work which is you know previously seen as not work, but which Federici and others are arguing is absolutely central to basically keep society going, but also more importantly to keep capitalism, you know, to keep capitalism going. It's like you could, capitalism would would absolutely collapse without this unseen, unpaid work that is going on in the house. Yeah, and like, there are two points I think to be made there. The first one is, although you know you've read that quote out by Engels, and they they did talk they did talk about it, but the the difference with Federici. And all those was that they that they saw the revolutionary potential within that. So for for Marx and Engels, they thought the revolution would take place, you know, with the workers in the factory kind of thing. But but Federici and this wages of housework perspective, they saw they saw the potential of revolution within you know within being a mother, say, or within or within being a woman, and but also. Once you see it from this perspective, you realise that you if if you're standing up for for one type of worker that doesn't get paid or doesn't get a wage, you open the can on all the other workers around the world that don't get paid, and that are absolutely integral to the capitalist system. You know, it it, it wouldn't work without them. So, first of all, obviously, going back to the beginnings of capitalism with with the slave trade, capitalism wouldn't have succeeded without without all that unpaid labour and then you think of you know the work that prisoners do and the work that yeah the work that mothers do or and then the work around the world where you have to have some people who are out of work in parts of the world where you where you have people living in bad conditions they have to be like that so that they can be exploited at another time to be turned into workers you know you have to have this pool of unpaid workers either to actively you know, produce work or to keep on standby for when you need to get rid of or lower the wages of other kinds of workers. You have to bring these 
and wage breakers into low paid wage labour. So, yeah, Marx didn't talk about that revolutionary potential in the unwaged. Yeah, so like I think the important thing about the campaign is that, you know, ostensibly you're saying, you know, it's, it's about wages for housework, you know, and it's recognising domestic work as work. And you can take almost like a shallow neoliberal uh, analysis that I go, OK, it's important work, you know, and, and, and we'll give you money for it or whatever and that but and that could be the end of it but like what Federici and said what you just said is that the, the fundamental revolutionary point of it and and the sort of brain exploding point for me when I read it is like well once you realize the extent to which capitalism actually depends on reproductive labor and you know the unpaid huge de- spheres of life which are devalued and not recognized then you realise it's it's revolutionary potential, or she says like point zero. That's like the that's the fundamental point. Was it she said you know basically capitalism requires, as you said, these huge pools of unwaged reproductive labour, not just women in an imperial core. It's across the world, you know, like the colonised population, as you said, slaves, uh, prison labourers. It opens it up, doesn't it? And capitalism requires this massive un, unpaid pool of labour to essentially keep costs down ensure profit but also it it uses the wage relation I think is important as well to divide the working class against one another to divide men against women but also as we see I'd say particularly in the UK today to divide you know people who are in work against people who are who are out of work because they're not seen as productive but also it devalues things like the experience of old people because it's seen as like not productive it all stems from this revelatory and very simple concept that you know reproductive labor keeps capitalism going but it's un it's unpaid and unrecognized and once you recognize that it's it truly is a revolutionary perspective which lends itself to lends itself to all sorts of forms of organizing and, and what Federici says and she says it's it's not just about demanding it's not just about demanding the wage is it it's about what that what that means in society really and she's she's got a good quote isn't she i'm paraphrasing but she says something like the demand for a wage isn't actually a demand for a sum of money or to be let into the wage relation because you know we were never out of the wage relation it's a demand to be let out of the wage altogether that the whole working class be let out of that wage so like you were saying before uh, when we were talking before that that actually it's a concept of liberation you know the point of it is liberation the point of it is be able to is to be able to refuse work and they say you know in order to be able to refuse work you first have to put a price on it absolutely and that's what that yeah it's just and so, you know some of the arguments against it you know at the time I think wasn't it there was stuff like well you know people viewing the campaign quite narrowly as just paying women for paying women for housework, for domestic work, um, and not realising the, just the implications of the wage, firstly, is recognising reproductive labour as work um, and as something that is central to the system of capital accumulation and, and which, you know, capitalism depends on and cannot do without. It's kind of like a weak spot in capitalism. And as soon as you, because that's how profit is derived, but that's how, you know, that's how the working class is divided against one another. So it prevents reproductive labour not being recognised keeps capitalism going it also keeps the working class divided so once you can demand in a wage and recognising that workers work as she says the first step really because you're challenging you're just starting to challenge capitalism on its own territory and almost like you want one of those ones where you're pulling the bottom out of a house of cards and and seeing it all come tumbling down this is one of the first steps towards towards doing it i think i've got that right in what and what they meant yeah she talks she says exactly what, what you just said she talks about how Marx talks about primitive accumulation and that it was an accumulation of land from the workers and and an accumulation of workers through through the slave trade and other means but Federici says that what he doesn't mention and, the, and what she adds to it is that it is definitely an accumulation of differences. So in a, differences between race, differences between gender, but also this difference between the waged and the unwaged. And the revolutionary element of it is, you know, it, it, it is obviously it is feminism. It is feminism. And obviously a lot of it is to do with, you know, recognising women's role in society and how exploited and oppressed women are. But, you know, it, it's revolutionary, not just because it it talks about how women are oppressed, but it exposes the mechanism through which you know the working class are divided which is which is basically through through the wage 
and like it, it talks about it forces you to recognize like the social the social function of wage labor you know within society so the most obvious one is dividing as you said divided women against men and the idea that you know all that what they're doing isn't really work um, because they're not getting paid for it but also it divides the workers along class lines you know if you talk about like the you know like italy was a fa- italy was a famous example because it was you know, the strike in the the fiat factory in turin in i think the 70s and 80s which was broken because basically middle management and higher paid workers peeled off and broke the strike and you know r- right throughout history of of capitalism you know like the the, the wage you know has peeled off people who get paid a little bit more to keep them sort of passive and and to not identify with you know, the working class but also you know it divides the the working class against what was he Marx call them the the army of reserve labor you know the basically the you know, people who are out of work which is something that's going to be a huge thing in the next well it's happening now you know unemployment's at record levels and people will be divided against one another in the race for jobs and so yeah it's it, like at the core of it is by rejecting that and demanding a wage for housework it's like well no we, we, we're showing it, it helps everyone it helps the whole of the working class rather than just it's not just about helping women get paid for housework is it it's it's, it's, it's so much broader than that yeah and it exposes it, it exposes capitalism for what it is in a way doesn't it or it exposes the system and yeah like you were saying it's not how yeah we were talking before weren't we about how the trade union membership is so low at the moment and then the kind of work that people do is also quite precarious so there's this unwaged it isn't even as clear-cut as unwaged and waged anymore because there's this in-between, isn't there, where you're forced to become a freelance, but it's not really freelance and you don't know how much money you'll have from one month to the next or zero-hour contracts. Yeah, capitalism uses the situation up, doesn't it? Well, it's particularly important now, isn't it? Just thinking about the origins of the Wages for Housework campaign and the concept of reproductive labour, I do think it is worth, just before I forget, briefly mentioning... You know, the Italian social context, I do think that is quite significant. You know, because Federici says that it was based in Italian, like, autonomous Marxist movement, which was folk, uh, did a lot of stuff on the workplace, you know, like the, fa- the role of the factory. And I think, I don't know how you pronounce it, like, operaismo or whatever, workerism, essentially. But it's it, it's a perspective which I think, think isn't really particularly well known at the moment even in the in, in the West. Well, it, it is in the West, but like it, it's in the UK and America. But they said about um, equally important for the development of the wage for housework was the idea of um, the social factory, which I just wanted to read about, re- read out a sec, because it just it was one of the, you know, it was a, I thought it was a mind-blowing passage. So they talked about Mario Tronti, you know, according to which at a certain stage of capitalist development, Capitalist relations become so hegemonic that every social relation is subsumed under capital and the distinction between society and factory collapses so that the whole of society is basically a factory and social relations directly become relations of production. So that's like, I'd say so far, so orthodox, you know, Marx sort of says that. But they said to the females involved in the Wage of Housework campaign in Italy, they said it was immediately clear that the circuit of capitalist production and accumulation begun and were centred above all in the kitchen, the bedroom, the home, insofar as these were the centres for the production of of labour power. Just the thing that it really makes sense that you said that because Maria Rosa de la Costa, she came out of the workerist movement and I think, I don't know loads about that, you know, I I know a bit, like the tiny bit I know about it, it just makes, to me, it makes so much sense that she would have come, that she would have written this, that essay coming from that, that's what she was a part of. Well, hopefully we can do another episode at some stage on the workerist movement because it has um, uh, it's it's produced some like incredible thinkers and new perspectives on like Marxist strategy, I think, um, which aren't particularly well known. Given how you know, given how revolutionary this perspective is to recognise the, the, the value of reproductive labour and then from there being forced to recognise the fact that capitalism requires these big pools of reproductive unpaid labour to make profit and keep the working class divided. You know, you wonder, like, why hasn't this perspective sort of broken through to like the mainstream left? Because I think, you know, I mean, a lot of the opposition to Federici did come from from, you know, male leftists and stuff around the world. And and, and you think now, like, given, you know, how central we've seen care is to our society and, and, and childcare and so on, the need for childcare and stuff during like, the COVID pandemic, 
you know, why, why isn't this more sent? Why hasn't this been embraced more by by the the trade unions or by sort of Marxists in general? Reading back over what happened at the time, you know, at the time it was controversial, and there were lots of arguments against against this perspective because there were two there were two ways of looking at things, and one way was to campaign for women to get into the into workplaces and for you know for for childcare and for day centers for women and wages for housework they weren't against that but they also were fighting for a wage and eventually it did all the the collect the international feminist collective did kind of fall apart because of disagreements and different things and and I think this other side of the coin, the struggle for, you know, to allow women into, into work and for daycare and all of that, it helped to divide women further. And so it helped divide the working class further because then women were let in into these, into jobs, which is a good thing. And this, this other side of demanding a wage was forgotten. And it was seen, you know, even today, I think when we discussed things on the left it's still seen as a you know one of the arguments against it even today is well that demand we, we now pay for housework in the form of you know cleaners and child kids and it still hasn't raised the position of women but I think it's precisely because there is no wage for you know parental wage or housework wage that's precisely the reason why this wage is always so slow because for women to go out to work the women who do the work in their place, because they are usually women or they are overwhelmingly women, they have to be paid at a much lower rate than the woman earns when she goes out to work. And then also, I think the idea of women, you know, of women entering, because capitalism, it subsumes everything, doesn't it? And then it spits it back out at you and makes you pay for it. So that side of feminism where you where you demand a place in, you demand a place in the workforce and you demand wages, and then you buy you buy in cleaners and you buy in childcare. It feeds in, it strengthens capitalism really because there these are the things to sell. These are, they it commodifies things and allows you to buy them. Basically, what it's doing in some ways is it's splitting, you know, the role of women. So you've got some women entering the workplace, but that you know for women to necessarily enter the workplace, it necessitates having an underclass of low even lower paid women who carry out the the housework that the women who are in the who are now in the workforce often can't can't carry out themselves or as you know Federici and yourself pointed out what often means is that you know women do a job in the workplace and then they go home and do a job in the house so they basically rather than being liberated by entering uh, the workforce you're basically just doing two extremely demanding and impossible impossible tasks my personal perspective at the moment is because obviously I work in social care and like trying to unionise or trying to get the trade unions to take unionising in this sector seriously or even to take the left to talk about care seriously is like banging your head against a brick wall and is in, feels extremely disempowering. And I've always often wondered why. And, and, and I think one of the things that Rita Federici made me realise is, you know, it's not just about recognising reproductive labour as work is obviously very important in terms of understanding the system of capitalist accumulation but that in itself is not really like an emotive argument sometimes I think it's about the discursive construction of work and basically as a society what we consider to be proper work or what's a man's work or what this is that's a real job and I don't know I just think we've got a problem in the UK or on the left in what we consider as worthy work and, and, and let's face it, that is highly gendered. You know, like this is a real job is, is let's say, I don't know, working down, you know, particularly in Wales, working down the mines is a real job. You know, working in the steelworks is a real job. That's a man's job. Uh, reproductive labour and housework is sort of feminised and other forms, but other forms of work are seen as feminine work and they are accordingly not given the same priority when it comes to sort of organising, I think, or talking about work or, or the importance of workers' rights, they're just sort of neglected. Um, and obviously, like, domestic and housework is kind of like the paradigm of that. But I do think it extends, you know, this idea of what proper work is, 
it is a problem you know like our romanticization of of work and i think the second interesting thing you know one of the reasons like the the left or the trade union movement haven't like grasped the importance of understanding like Federici and the concept of reproductive labour is because you know particularly if you look at the, the British trade union movement it's the idea that like labour is good like all work is good you know work is the answer for everything and if you look at like the actual trade union movement and their demands as we people who listen to our Marxism episode will understand you know the core of Marxism is about freedom and is about freeing yourself from the wage relation and not having to sell your labor power to survive within capitalism yeah so the whole point of it is to is to go beyond that and allow people to be actually free but if you look at the how the left and the trade union movement across the world organizes it's for you know incremental demands within capitalism it's for you know the british trade union movement oh uh, you know we're pro-nuclear power because nuclear power brings us good unionized jobs Everything the Welsh Labour government basically says is about creating jobs, 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 regardless of the va- social value of those jobs, regardless of the, you know, whatever. But the, the, the main thing they talk about is well-paid jobs. So organising within the trade union movement, again, is about wage, isn't it? It's about the wage. It's about not about overcoming capitalism or really building working class power. It's about getting people a bit more money. That's not really like an anti-capitalist perspective. It's just, you know, that well, a, that is a classic critique of the British trade union movement. But uh, I don't know, that's just my my own personal sort of ranty take on it. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. And, and also the work that you talk about, you know, the, the work that you talk about as being gendered, you know, care work, cleaning, nursery staff, all of that. It is an extension of housework, basically, isn't it? It's, it's an extension of housework, of looking after the children. So, it does make sense, I think, that it that it isn't taken seriously because it gets done for free in the first place. Ordinarily, yeah. So when it's yeah. done professionally, it's yeah. What Ferrucci says is like the attributes of femininity, like care, being caring, their work functions. You know, when you view it. Yeah. In your article, I mean, as well, I think, I mean, you t- touch on the gendered nature of work in Wales in particular, and it's ironic, you know, like in Wales, the idea of the Welsh man mothers are absolutely central to to Welsh society like you know I'd say in a way that isn't necessarily the case in in other sort of western societies mainly because the mums sort of do everything for their kids um or their their sons (laughs) and I'm certainly no exception in that regard but you know I think it is interesting to think about how we think about work and the working class in Wales and in the UK in particular because you know that the the role of mums and the housework has just been ignored essentially hasn't it yeah there's one of at the time you know in the 70s one of the one of the struggles that happened with the under this wages for housework banner was a struggle by nurses in England and it was in 1974 and they were demanding higher wages and there was this backlash against it because because they also they made threats to take action including work stoppage so there was this outrage against it because you know they were supposed to care and look after people and they couldn't just say that they weren't going to do it and one of the slogans that they had on their banners I really liked it was um the cost of love is going up (laughs) and yeah it's incredible and then the concept I mean by 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 threatening the stoppage exposes the how important care work and you know that sort of effective work work is and how you need you can't you can't get by without it you know what happens if the carers just say we're not going to do this anymore you know it would be it would be it would be terrible well what a fantastic slogan just just like the original demand for wages for housework the demand itself should you know in theory catalyze a completely new understanding and interpretation of the that that type of labor you know like that slogan the cost of love is going up like what this what the campaign did or what this perspective does is it gives you the ability to what am I trying to say you know to if you have to do things out of love or because you're a nice person or because you're a good man it takes some power away from you doesn't it it's, it's worse then if you say I'm not I'm not going to do it I should get paid for it well yeah. it, it means that people get taken advantage of and the societal expectation that women do care work because they're caring are the reasons that I think you could probably pay, you know, they get paid so little because it, it, it feeds into this idea that that's, you know, feminine work is, is an extension of, of the housework that people don't respect anyway. And I mean, then it's a way of silencing, isn't it? If you say, if you, if you see from that perspective, it's a way of silencing. 
I'm interested in care work. The COVID pandemic has sort of really thrown it into the forefront. You know, the, you know, the obviously care homes have been terribly hit by the pandemic, but also it's 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 made well. You'd hopefully made people belatedly realise like the terrible conditions that care workers work in, and um, you know, the fact that care is privatised in the UK and in Wales, and you know the poor wages that, but also the type of labour that. Uh, care workers do and I think that there's an interesting passage in, in Federici when she talks about you know Marxism and care work and like you know why why isn't this stuff why isn't care seen as is so important which is bizarre considering that the world's population is getting older and older and older so care is going to become more and more and more important um you know she says that like you know the way concept of care work is sort of discursively constructed you know one that sort of like it ignores the huge amounts of actual like physical labor yeah. and the integration of like physical and emotional like effective labor within within care work is huge you know it's not just like feeding people or being being nice and caring you know it's like picking up old people it's ex- extremely physically demanding and that element of it is again overlooked i think by this sort of gender you know the way we we think about work or care work as just being about it almost like an extension as you said of these feminine qualities of an, an extension of housework it, but in the same way well as I'm sure all mums listening will say or even parents that you know raising children is extremely physically demanding as well like you said it, they come together don't they this emotional the emotional and the physical work because what you realize either when you've been caring yourself or when you the place where I live is is quite a working class community so it's a place where the older generation at tend to stay in their own homes because you know the family's still around to look after them this is definitely a part of I would say community life in in Bedlinog the things that people have to deal with you know in those hours between official care visits there's you know the turning of the key and the wondering what you're going to find when you walk in and and the reality of care is like you said it's really upsetting you know it's picking you know bloodied parents up from the floor after they've had a fall, you know, taking their nappies off and throwing them everywhere, it's cleaning the kitchen with and wherever the yeah. pool's landed. It, it's really, it's. I think we've, we've also got quite a sanitised version of care. So we don't actually ever think about the reality. And the, re- the reality really is, you know, like washing walls down, with you know, washing the blood off the sick, off the poo off, you know, it's washing. It really is, though. But, but this work, but this work as you've written, is it's left to the women, isn't it? Yeah, it is mainly left to the women, and it's all. It's assumed. Yeah, just you know, fine. It's just do a, it on, on top of everything else. Yeah, and and with the with care being privatised in Wales, you know, nobody nobody gets enough care. You know, the, the care that often lots of these people need really twenty four hour care. But, you know, it is left mainly to the women of the families to fill in the hours in between. And if you're a grandmother, you've often got, you know, little little grandchildren to look after and then your parents or your parents-in-law. And, you know, it's a really full-on, full-on day. And it's, it's emotionally draining as well as physically, physically draining. And it's every day. It's not like yeah. just something that is... Uh, or a holiday. Yeah, it's not like something you tap out for. You know, my mum cares for, you know, her mum... And obviously she does childcare for my my sister and ashamed to say that it's only seeing this sort of stuff now is to realise how ridiculous the this unpaid workload is, you know, the reproductive work, which is just it's just incredible, really. There's a point I wanted to what you said about Bedley Nog and the community sort of caring for the the elderly. One of the reasons things like gentrification is such a pernicious and terrible development in when it sort of moves working class, disperses working class communities out of where they are. And people talk about social capital and connected communities. But what it means is that, you know, it means that a lot of old people have more isolated lives because, you know, the, the, the communities that used to sort of collectively care for them, well, communities, the women of the communities used to care for these people, that's no longer there. So people live more isolated, atomized lives as they're old. So care has increasingly been removed from the community. There was a really interesting thing that Federici wrote, which again gets to this, like the, the, the role of the wage and the and the how we perceive of work as only being about productive labour. And it was like, you know, the way we treat old people yeah. uh, is the way we treat old people as an inconvenience is a direct result or like outgrowth of 
the idea that you know you've got to earn money to be productive and because all people are not earning money not only they're not productive they're seen as a drain on like resources in capitalism and, and I think that was like I don't know I just think that the way we conceive of work you know the way the wage is used to divide people also sort of is almost taken to its logical horrific conclusion sometimes with how people talk about old people as just being like a a drain you know bed blocking in the NHS and stuff like that and it's kind of like just it hasn't even been hidden like during Covid some like Tory Tory commentators have basically said well Covid's great because it's just culled all the old people and it saved us all this money and social care which has just been incredible you know it's like fascistic and it's Mm -hmm. eugenics and it's really horrific but I mean um you know the way I think I I do think it's relevant that that the fact that old people are no longer seen as productive is one of the reasons that they're seen you know they're just a drain on society basically they're sucking in resources and money which should be used to better used for, for for real capitalism you know Let's talk about the situation about care of all kinds, childcare and social care in Wales, because I think we've got a, a real struggle on our hands. And you speak about it in in your um, in your article and in your forthcoming chapter for our collected edition on neoliberalism in Wales. Do you want to talk us through, like the, I guess, the situation that you faced as a mother negotiating the benefit system, but also like you know the the broad the broader system in terms of what you know what life is like for mums what life is like for carers and so on I think first of all it's I I do think it's quite difficult to negotiate the benefit system I think it's difficult to work out especially that phone (laughs) yeah actually that was a problem you know it wasn't that phone at the time but you know just you get put on hold for ages yeah and then you've got to press five and then the five doesn't work so then you eventually get cut off and then you try again and then you know the baby cries and there's a big poo explosion and you have to go and sort it out so just the even you know like really tiny things that it just takes ages to try and get through to someone and I don't know if it was because I just had a baby you know but I did find it really difficult to work out what to do and to find the information they needed but then also you know the stuff that's already been talked about like the change from it hasn't happened where we are but for friends it's happened the change to universal credit and obviously that's quite well documented how how difficult that is and I think that just the thing of how careful you have to be with money and how how easy it is to fall behind and to get into a mess just the fact that there's no there's there's much leeway you know but then if you talk about things that is uh, policies or like the child care offer that was specifically introduced to help parents I mean the first thing about it is is there's a big gap so if you've if you've been working up until the time you're pregnant it, I, I can't remember how many weeks beforehand but uh 26 weeks I think beforehand yes you have to have worked for the employer continuously for 26 weeks which is almost impossible to people to achieve now in a situation where everyone's on zero hour contracts and is in and out of work you know yeah and even if you somehow manage to get that it gradually you know becomes less and less as time goes on and I think by nine months it's gone completely so you don't have any after nine months you don't have any kind of payment coming in and then if you live in a deprived area there's a flying the flying start where you get um child care from the age of two and then if you don't live in an area that's deemed deprived there's the child care offer for three and four year olds and basically 30 hours that's 30 hours a week isn't it Thirty hours a week for i think it's for 48 weeks yeah i mean the main thing about that offer is that it excludes parents that aren't working. I will declare an interest in that I worked on the childcare offer um, when I in my former life. Well, it, it's one of the things we talked about earlier, but the overarching drive, basically all Welsh government policy is about getting people into work. You know, that the work is the main solution to all society's problems. You know, we know it isn't. You know, and regardless of the fact that there was a lot of research, including our own, which said that, you know, the ability of mums to enter the workplace or to get a job has nothing to do really with eligibility of child childcare as a rule. It's about, 
you know, employers being inflexible. It's about a lack of work and, and childcare in itself doesn't necessarily magically solve those things or get mums into work. Instead, childcare is like a universal societal good uh, in general, which will allow people respite, help people and so on. Obviously, those all the things you wrote were completely ignored. I should also say that we, you know, we did recommend that childcare should be extended to all all parents, regardless of whether they were working. Again, because it's a universal good, and, and the Welsh government, you know, knew knew that, and they made the specific choice to not extend it to to non-working mums. So basically, it's you know the the poorest mums in society are basically excluded from from accessing that. You also made the good point that there's a gap in provision anyway so I think it's from nine months to two years there's nothing you can access yeah and then if you live in a an area that's deemed well off or fine it's, it's it must be between nine months and three years but I think another or another aspect of the childcare offer is like you say it's all about getting people into work they, it, there's even a line in there you know this offer is intended to support working parents and to encourage parents to return to work or to increase their hours like the flip side is and it can be I think it can be maybe a bit of a taboo subject or something that's difficult I think it can be something that's difficult to talk about but there is a lot of research you know that shows how how important the early years are for you know babies and small children and the difference it makes if they can be with their mothers or with their parents obviously in a you know in a you know a secure stable environment one of the main points you raised, which is mind blowing, is that mums now basically face the option, the stark options of you go to work and you struggle with childcare offer or to pay for childcare, or you are a stay at home mum and you basically have to struggle financially if you're working class, that is. And those are like really stark options. And like you said, you know, what about the right of mums to care, stay home and, and care for their children? That is like an innate. It is something that's generally only possible for, you know, the well-off. For the, you, if you decide to do it when you're not in that position, you know, obviously it's stressful, you know, because you, you don't really have the money, <laughs> you know, just for basic things, you know. And I think the other interesting point is because, because basically, really, you do have to go back to work after you've had a baby. If, if, you, if you want to... If you want to be financially secure, you you do have to go back to work. And then if you're one of the people who didn't go back to work, it can become quite unmanageable because it isn't really a community of people there doing the same thing as you. You know, everybody went back to work when the baby was six months or nine months and then the children are, with, are in nurseries or, you know, grandparents. And I suppose with the pandemic and the, the care crisis that's become quite obvious during the pandemic it just shows that this way of doing things where we completely disregard the importance of care it isn't sustainable you know it isn't very sustainable on you know on individual personal levels but then with a pandemic we can see that actually collectively it really it doesn't take much for everything to kind of spin out of control when we don't have the very you know basically should be the foundation the foundation of our society shouldn't it that we we care for each other that we care for our children yeah. our parents when they needed our grandparents and the, the reality is a lot of this policy if we've been blunt and is written by uh, middle class welsh political class people with a lot of money it's a form of neoliberal feminism which basically is allowing high flying quote unquote like middle class women to return to the workplace and make a lot of money it completely disregards like the experiences of working class mothers, single mothers, and it leaves them in this, as we've said, this like ridiculous bind of being either dependent, you know, you either go and struggle as a wage labourer and don't see your kids, or you are forced to not, you know, you, or you make the choice to not work, and in which case you're dependent on benefits. And and I, th- but I think this, this brings us nicely onto like, you know, what can we do about this concretely? Because I know that you've been thinking about a, a campaign you know, to revive like the wages for housework, but 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 also to to build on that the moral you know the moral core of it, which is what you just said, you know, the idea of creating a society based on on actually care and like caring communities. So what can we you know obviously wages for housework is <laughs> is is going to be the demand, but you know I know you've written a little bit about it. So what what else would you like to see? Yeah, I suppose lots of things that are already 
really being being spoken about like a national a national care service that would work it would be integrated and that would work alongside you know well-funded NHS and yeah I suppose that women that women or parents really the opportunity for them really to have a genuine choice in going back to work or not in looking after your own children or not so that so yeah that there is you know care child care available for children yeah for children but also but also that you do have maybe a parental wage something like a parental wage that could work alongside a UBI I the idea of UBI I think is universal basic income is becoming more and more accepted I think so I think if you can think of a parental wage as as an addition to that you know something that would work alongside it so the children basically have all children are able to grow up in a financially secure home and all children are able to have access to their parents well it goes back to that old i mean i mean it's in the in the communist manifesto you know like a you know Marx and engels say that working class you know, the proletarian doesn't have a, isn't allowed a family because the financial pressures and the, and the fact he has to sell his wage and his labor to live means that everyone has to basically go out to work all the time you know the mums have to as you in chatting about this makes me realize like that you know nothing's really changed you know we people are still stuck in that putting that ridiculous bind of choosing like precarity and benefits or go out and not see your family yeah and and the point is that is really scary you know choosing precarity so it makes sense that people don't you know because really you know why would you because then you are putting your children at risk and you and and there's a really there's a correlation unfortunately and I suppose it makes sense but when you look at the children in care in Wales there's a correlation that there are more children in care in the counties in the most deprived counties and one of the you know top reasons for being taken into care is mental health issues with the parents and obviously you know when you live when you live in destitution or close to destitution the stress is and it comes back to everything doesn't it? it joins up you know when you look at the pandemic it's shown that if you live in poverty you're more likely to suffer worse consequences it's just that the things everybody already knows that that they're all all these things are connected and and then that it seems silly that we don't you know take care more seriously and and pay pay for it well i know you've been working on you know setting up a campaign that centers care and which which will which will help essentially create a more more caring society and we know now based on this discussion that it has a revolutionary revolutionary core in that it like it, it helps the entire working class but why didn't you talk us through some of the key sort of policy demands that you've been thinking about yeah so yeah we've been thinking about how we could build a more caring society and these are some of the demands that we've thought thought about so far so a universal parental income for all parents until their children are 18 or until they have finished full-time education whichever is longest a universal carer's income for all those who leave waged work in order to care for a member of their family or community. An additional pension for all parents and carers who have taken time away from waged work to care for their children, family or community members. Do you mind if I um, jump in there a sec, Catherine? Because the, the, the idea of the pension that you've written is one of the most mind-blowing things for me because what you wrote in your article or in various articles is, um, you know, obviously a lot of the benefit system in the UK is contributions based. Yeah. Um, and when we say national insurance contributions based, it basically means that if you haven't been in work, so if you've been like a stay at home mum, for example, then your pension is is far, far less. So you'll be in a situation where you've probably got to do care for your elder relative, possibly care for a grandchild. And because you haven't been deemed to have been contributed enough in terms of paid employment, you don't get you, you don't get anything other than the basic state pension as well. Yeah, I don't think you get the full. You don't get the full state pension. Which is yeah, which is like incredible, really, that women are well, largely you know women will be excluded from. You don't get told. You know, I was told this. I was out of waged work, and I've been out a few years, and I got told by another woman, "Are you paying? Are you paying your national insurance contributions?" And I said no. And that's how I found out. So you, you don't even get told about it. You don't even get told 
you, you don't automatically get told, oh, this is something you should think about doing because you wouldn't even get the full state pension otherwise. So that's obviously what, that's, sorry for interrupting, but that's, uh, I thought that was an important point to make because it wasn't something that crossed my mind. The other point is that because it's usually, like you say, it's usually women who have taken time out to care either for parents or for children or because of their care work, they haven't been able to prepare for their own futures you know when when they might need care so they're in because they've cared they're in a they're in a more precarious position when they're older and they just haven't had the chance to top up you know to supplement the state pension other people have been able to do so the pension yeah so the uh, focus on the pension is obviously key sorry (laughs) you can keep going through the policies i'm really sorry for interrupting Um, five years minimum maternity and paternity leave for all parents keep jobs open to parents until all their children are of statutory school age and then free childcare from birth for those parents who wish to return to waged work after childbirth paid parental leave so at the moment you can get 18 weeks of parental leave per child up until they're 18 years old and basically this is something that you you would take I suppose if there was some sort of crisis you know I think they describe it as if you wanted to spend more time with your children but 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 it's unpaid so you you would only take it if there was some sort of crisis I think you know that that, that maybe the child was ill or so that, but the fact that it's unpaid just means that it's only something that a certain level of income would be able to take advantage of. I suppose if there was a parental income, it would make that um, demand redundant, but it is in there. Um, A generously funded and robust national care service, which would offer services for care in much the same, same way as a generously funded and robust NHS could offer services for health. A reorganisation of our society according to care, so that when we look after our children, parents, partners or vulnerable members of our communities, there are other people there to help us, along with an infrastructure that allows us the time to recharge emotionally and physically and the financial stability to make this possible in a happy and stress-free way. And then it ends with green open spaces for all with pollution-free air. (laughs) It's just the basic. <laughs> well, it all sounds fantastic. And like I said, hopefully we'll be returning to this now. Because, I mean, it's something that you would think would be, uh, would have universal sort of support, support on the left. And hopefully once now they've listened, now people have listened to this revolutionary episode about <laughs> the centrality of reproductive labour in all forms, you know, to keep society going, then people will be, will be on board with it. And hopefully we'll be, we'll continue to talk about this theme, I think, you know, in, in, in the future for sure. Right, Catherine, that was absolutely fantastic. Is there anyone you'd like to do a shout out to or start the beef with? Um, I'm not going to start any beef. Will's got enough beef, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I'll do a shout out to my mother. Great shout. And yeah, to all my family and my friends. And also, especially to Rachel, because she sent me the pamphlet in the first place. And I don't think I ever would have read anything about it if she hadn't started it all started um no fantastic thanks so much for coming on it's really truly you know brilliant and insightful uh episode and topic that i I, as i said i hope we we really come back and discuss again in in future shouts from me i know this goes out to all the mums out there you know my mum my grandmother my sister i just had a little uh or just a little girl so i've got another niece called poppy obviously my sister-in-law Sarah, a new little nephew. I've got a new little nephew called Teddy. And um, if it wasn't for <laughs> Silver Federici, I don't think I would have appreciated any of the how on Catherine's article. I wouldn't have really sort of started to think about all the ridiculous amounts of work and labour that they put in and paid on a daily basis. Uh, and ditto to all the mums and single mums and working mums and so on. So thanks all for listening. We'll see you guys soon. Bye bye. I think I began to read Marx when I was probably 18, 16, 17. You know, in school, I had a teacher, you know, I grew up in a communist town and my, my teacher, Italian teacher, uh, he was a Marxist. But then I began to study more systematically when I went to the United States and then really, really more seriously with the feminist movement. Feminism was a whole beginning of seriously engaging with Marx. Yeah, interesting enough. And I always say we learned a lot from Marx. Marx gave us the tool to criticize him because when we read the description of the reproduction of the workforce, he wrote for us. He literally wrote 
but we had to change the subject. We had to bring in new subjects. It's only actually in, in Capital Volume 1 that Marx deals with the question of women's and labor. No? And uh, it's a, I think he wrote some of the most powerful pages on uh, the way the exploitation of women, the exploitation of women and children. I think that uh, in the whole Marxist socialist revolutionary tradition, you know, few have, uh, you know, have uh, with so much uh, um, pungency, um, you know, analyzed the way capitalism exploits labor and particularly the labor of women. Uh, at the same time, you know, one of the limits of Marx is that he concentrates on the position of women, either in the bourgeois family or in terms of their work experience, uh, he concentrate on their place in wage work, in wage industrial work. The criticism is that uh, he does not see you know, the work of women in the process of reproduction as important in capitalist accumulation. That when it comes to an analysis of capitalist exploitation, right, it has a limited view of the ways in which capitalism exploits women, exploits women's labor. Uh, he does not see that the exploitation of women in capitalism, in the history of capitalism, even in the period of the Industrial Revolution, was not limited to waged industrial work, but actually, you know, ha, took place on a much broader arena, you know, extending and to the whole sphere of domestic activity. Those domestic activity that are crucial for the reproduction of the workforce. Marx very acutely, he recognizes the labor power, the potential that we have to work with potential for exploitation is not something that is naturally given. And particularly, you know, in uh, the work process is constantly consumed on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it has to be reproduced and recognizes that, but sees that process of the reproduction uh, of the workforce as being accomplished completely through commodity production. In other words, the worker gets the wage and out of the wage buys the commodities that are needed, the food, the houses, etc. And that's how they reproduce themselves. There is no other kind of work that comes in. For example, to prepare the food, right? For example, to make love, for example, to raise the children, etc. There's no sex is a totally asexual worker that Marx has in mind, you know? He speaks of procreation and he says, well, the capitalist class can let the workers take care of that. But no, actually the state intervenes very heavily with all kinds of prohibition, regulation, and this is the criticism